last week was a very famous game in Columbus, Ohio, a football game between the two uh, rivalries team from Ohio State in Michigan, the Buckeyes and the, what it's called? Wolverines. Wolverines. Okay, one day I'll learn what it is, the name. One of the people in my community told me that he's going to the game. I asked him why. He tells me his son-in-law is a neurologist. One of his patients, a neurologist went to school in Michigan, in Michigan, in Michigan, in the university. And he is a big fan of their team. And one of his patients is a very well-to-do person, gave him two tickets in a very good spot, a very good seat in the, in, in the stadium. And he's going, but his wife, the neurologist's wife, his daughter basically, was very worried about him. He's a skinny guy and he will wear the, the Michigan short, blue shirt, uniform, she said, if he's going to Ohio State, they are known not to be too tolerant of Michigan fans. Yep. Then she said, I'm afraid they will know them. Her father, the guy who comes to our show, is a very strong man. She begged her father to go with his husband to go to the game just to protect him. <laughs> he didn't want to go, but he had no choice. She begged him so much, he had to go. Okay. Okay. Both of them, they... They, he, he was wearing the, the red shirt and his son-in-law was wearing the blue shirt and they're on the way. It tells me they arrived to Ohio, to, Ohio State, to Columbus. On the way to the game, everybody already screamed at them and cursed them and all strange things. And he said, but when he came to the game, he was sitting, the section that he was sitting is a very expensive section. He would never be able to afford the tickets, not him, not his son-in-law, but he got the tickets. He says, this were more uh, civilized people sitting there. Everybody was behaving. So the game started. He's a big fan of Fire State, the father-in-law. Is the game started and the and people, and he said he was like shocked. He was never in such a big stadium with so many people who are screaming and supporting the team. Ohio State was doing well and and everybody was sh shouting and getting excited. The fans went crazy. And he says, just the experience was like overwhelming. And his son-in-law was sitting there like a mourner among, <laughs> among a, 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 in, in a wedding. He's the only one who is sitting like this. <laughs> and everybody's so excited. And then he said, that came the F time. At the F time, he said, then suddenly it was a turning point. Everything turned around. And Michigan, the Michigan team started to win and to win and to win even more. And suddenly the whole stadium is quiet. And his son-in-law is the only one who stands. I said, I'm around 5,000 people in his section. He was the only one who stands and scream and yells and, and supports his team. He said, I told him, anybody attacked him? He said, no, the people sitting around us were normal people, civilized people, that's expensive seats. They are not like regular schleppers. Right. He said, they were nice. They were, didn't say anything. And he said, he felt so, he was shrinking because he, he's, he's a fan of the, of the Buckeyes. 
Yep. And he was he was he was so in pain when his son-in-law was in seventh heaven. And nobody knows what happened. He said before that, you know, you can bet for the which team is going to win in the casinos, right? You can you can bet mm-hmm. on which sure. which you, you you win. Everybody was betting that Ohio State is going to win. Mm-hmm. And suddenly such a shock. And they lost in, in, in a huge uh, number. It wasn't like, a, I think, 40-something to 20. It, it was big. It was huge. He said the people left the, left the game. It was like going back from a funeral of a very close friend. Everybody was like depressed. Everybody was like kind of blaming himself that this has happened, this happened. It was, he said he came home, took him two days to recover. From the loss, his daughter reports that the husband was never nicer than this week. He was in a great mood. He was so kind. Every time she needed help, he was ready to help. He was jumping and singing. He was like flooding in the air. Regular idiot. Huh? Said a regular idiot. <laughs> Then I was wondering, what's the reason? What, the, what was the change? What happened in the halftime? What happened? Now I'm sure every maven will give his explanation. Somebody already gave me an explanation that, that the coach of the other, of the Michigan team discovered how he can throw the ball deep, deeper or something. I didn't even understand what he was saying, but he gave me an explanation. But maybe there is a spiritual explanation. You know, we're reading in the, in the, in the this coming weeks, the last few weeks, and the second half of the book of Genesis is about Jacob and Esau, the two rival, rivalries, right? They were rivalries from the birth, from the womb of the mother. When, when Rebecca was pregnant with both of them, she had terrible pain. She didn't know what's going on. Picking and fighting, she went to ask Shane, son of Noah, was a very righteous man. She asked him, what is going on? He told her, you have two babies. He told her, you have two babies. He told her, you have two nations in your, in your womb. And one is stronger than the other. And they start constantly fighting. And this guy's in the top, the other guy's in the bottom. And this guy's in the top. And they will, they will go on at each other forever. And that's exactly what happened. The rivalry, when they came out, Esau came out first and, he, and Jacob was holding it to in, in his ankle, in his heel of, J, of, uh, J, of Esau. That's why it's called Yaakov. Yaakov means the evil. And then the, the, the story about he bought his birthright. He wanted food and he told him, you want my food? He sell me your birthright and Jacob bought the birthright from Esau. And then it was a story how Jacob mislead his father and he got the blessings and Esau wanted to kill him and he ran away to Haran, the whole life. And this is from cradle to burial. Mm-hmm. The Talmud tells us, Rashi says in, in the book, of, in the end of the book of Genesis, when they came to bury Jacob, they brought him to the cave of Machpelah in Hebron mm-hmm. to bury him. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Esau shows up from nowhere. He says, that's my place. And it was a whole story. We'll not go into details. It wasn't, it wasn't so pretty. It didn't end up good. But the bottom line, Jacob was, uh, was buried in, in the cave of Machpe. 
Then the question is, what was the secret of Jacob that he won this rivalry? Why he won this rivalry more than uh, over Esau? Even uh, Esau was the first born, the first, everything turned around. There is something unique about Jacob that we find is his humbleness. He was a humble man. We see in this partial we read about Jacob running away from, from his brother Esau for him, tries to kill him. He goes away to Haran. Are you looking for Chumash? Yes, it was. Then he's, he's running away to Haran and, and he has a dream, the famous dream with a ladder. And the dream here, God comes to him and tells him, Jacob, don't worry, I will go with you. I will protect you. I will be with you there and I will bring you back home. I promise you I'll take care of you. With such a dream, you can only go with a happy heart. And he left. 22 years later, when he's coming back from Haran, he left with nothing. He comes back, he has four wives, 12 children, a lot of money, possession, everything. He's coming back to Israel and he's afraid of Israel. And he turns to God, he says, God, he prays to God, he says, God, I'm too small for deserving your protection. But I'm asking you from you for Achmones, give me mercy. Just give it to me because, because I'm asking for, 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 for help. He didn't come to God and says, God, you promised me. You remember 22 years ago in the dream, you promised me that you, you protect me. You owe me one. None of it. He was asking for mercy. He was asking for charity. He didn't demand anything because it belongs to him. Why? Because he was a humble person. Katonti, the word katan is small. Katonti became the, the, the if you say katonti, you know you're talking about Jacob. Jacob is the one who, who if you want, coined the word katonti. I'm too small for all your blessing. And like his name means the hill, Yaakov means hill. It means the hill is the lowest part of the body. Later, when he was already almost 100 years old, God gave him a second name, Israel. Israel is the word Rosh. In the word Israel, the word Rosh means, because Rosh means head. But he, he looked over it as, 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 as that is Yaakov is here always. And a person who is humble deserves, gets blessings from God. Why? There is a story about Hasidic Rebbe. He once came to a. <coughs> He once came to, to a city and two rich people invited them to, to be, to host, they wanted to host them in, his, in their big houses. They prepared the houses. One was a very religious person, very strict. Everything was in, in house was as kosher as you can get. But he was an arrogant person. The other person was a kind person he was, he, had, he was not so righteous. There were stories about him. They were not so nice. You know, things that the people were thinking about him. You know, and he's, he's not so faithful. He's not doing this. Eh, shwach. But he was a very humble person. And they asked this Rebbe, this Hasidic Rebbe, from Hapte, it was in, uh, 200 years ago he was alive. He passed away actually 200, almost 200 years ago. They asked him, Rebbe, which room house you want to go? To the house of this person? He chose the house of the guy who was not so righteous. 
But you told him, Rebbe, this guy who is so righteous and so holy is ready to do everything for you. I mean, would be the right, the right person to go there? He told him something very interesting. He says like this, it's written in the Talmud that God says, when it comes to arrogant person, he says, I cannot be with him under the same roof. He kind of, he pushes God out. He's so full of himself, he's pushing away God. Uh-huh. He says, if God is not there, I don't want to be there. He says, at the other end, by the other guys, he might be not so righteous. But it's written that God stays, Shochen, is the Shechina, the Shechina of God is with the, with the wicked. Uh-huh. No matter how wicked they are, God is there. He said, if God is there, I'm going. It means to say like this, humbleness is the place where you, where you get God. And when you get God, there's no surprise that you, 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 you get the blessing. And you see it also, the good thing about, it's not only you get along with God when you're a humble person, you get along with people. What's the secret for a good marriage? Humbleness, don't say anything you want. You, you're being skimmed off, shine. Not, don't, don't have any big demands, not, not expect, don't have any expectations. It's true about uh, working with co-workers, with employees. The less it's about me, it's easier to get, get along with other people. You know, I read interviews with people who live to be 113 men, 115, 110. Every time when I read it, especially men, I saw, I don't know, women too, but I, I, I read for some reason more men. They said, I saw people who have zero expectations. They're nice and humble and kind. Oh, life is great. It's good. My kids are so nice to me. No, I'm okay. I don't need any help. I'm good. No expectations. They're never angry. They're never disappointed. They're never frustrated. That's why they live long. They're humble. It's a secret for good for a long life. You know, we see it, there is in Jewish history, you know, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, the two school of thoughts that was in the end of the time of the second temple. Beit Shammai were known to be more strict. Two yeshivas. Beit Hillel were more lenient. And Beit Shammai, the Talmud says, was smarter, sharper than Beit Hillel. Then the Aloha became like Beitila. Jewish law was ruled by like Beitila. For example, you know about Hanukkah. Beit Shammai say you start, you light the first, then first night you light eight candles, second night seven candles, and you go down the numbers. Beitila says you light it to start it one, then two, we go by Beitila. Then the question is why Allah, the Aloha became like Beitila? Why Jewish law was ruled? And the Talmud says because they were humble people. And we, every time and used to teach their, their aloha, used to say, used to say like this, Bet Shammai says this way, we say the other way. They used to say their rivalries, opinion before their own opinion. <laughs> now, what is, why so? Because I'm a nice guy, therefore the aloha should be like me. This guy is smarter, they understand the Torah better, they understand the Talmud better. They should, the aloha should be like they say. Why is the aloha like the person who knows less? Just because he's a nice guy. But you're talking about an intellectual, Torah is an intellectual thing. What is going on? There is something very interesting. The Torah 
is the wisdom of God. The aloha, Jewish law, is the will of God. I have to know what God wants me to do. You told me very nice ideas why to do eight candles, the way to do one candle. But what should I do? A or B? What is the will of God? It's a big difference. For the wisdom of God, you need the smartest people. For the will of God, you need people who can be connected to God. What takes to be connected to God? You know what takes to be connected to God? You know, sometimes you see people, a sick person is going to the doctor. The doctor cannot diagnose what is problem. He goes to higher doctor. Cannot diagnose him. Some people never go from doctor to doctor. 20 years they go. And finally, they land on some simple, good doctor, regular doctor. And he sits down with them and he listens. And he ends up to diagnose the problem. And he says, what really happened? All the big doctors were full of themselves. They were, they were, they came with the preconceived notion. They know the story. Yeah, oh, I read about that. I already saw 550 cases. You're one of them. Here's it. Was kept and then Brennan's raised running to the next. The simple doctor that met him sat down, listened to the patient, connected emotionally to the patient, put himself in his shoes, and was able to, to diagnose the problem. The same thing is with when you want to know the will of God. When it comes to the will of God, it's not so relevant how smart you are. To connect to God and to know what God wants, you have to be a little less of myself. When I'm a little less of myself, there is more place for God. For this, you need to be humble people. People are a beetle. Beetle means nullification. When you have nullification, you have a better chance to, to, to figure out what God wants. That's the secret of humbleness. Maybe by the game, I'm, I'm not a maven of the games, but maybe by the game, they were the first half, Ohio State was winning. And therefore the Michigan team became very humble. Boom, and they became humble. They got, they got God with them. They got the blessing of God. That's why they won the other half of the game. Maybe if Ohio State would be as, as, would stay humble for the second and not getting over getting too excited over themselves that they're winning games, maybe it will be better. But the lesson to us is the more humble I am, the more connected I am, the more I have God with me, the more I can be, I can be I can God can, can help me. That's what the lesson is.